Amen. Amen. You know, I just am so thankful for today and the opportunity we have to be together. Um, I want to give you a quick reminder. Uh, for those of you who are members here, we have a church conference right after our, our service this morning. Uh, just for a few moments, um, we want to, uh, uh, we'll be voting on our proposed budget for this next year. And uh, we've already presented that, but we will be voting on that. So if you'll stick around for just a few moments, uh, that would be great. Um, this morning, I want to be, uh, I want to share with you some reasons for hope um, out of Isaiah chapter 9. And we're going to study there for a little bit. You know, do you ever get the feeling that things are bad and they're getting worse? I mean, it seems that way sometimes. It seems like they just go from bad to worse. You know, if somehow you manage to get home from work uh, in a good mood. If you turn the news on, uh, it's enough to depress you thoroughly. And um, I, I know that uh, Woody Allen, who said this, uh, he's not, the, not a, that he's the paragon of positivity, but he said, more than any other time in history, humanity faces a crossroads. One path leads to despair and utter hopelessness and the other to total extinction, let us pray we have the wisdom to choose correctly. But this morning, I want to give you four reasons for our current state, if you will, of helplessness. So if we talk about good news, bad news, this is the bad news first, okay? And then I promise I'll bring the good news as well. But four reasons for our current state of hopelessness. And the first one I want to talk about is confusion. Confusion. I mean, 2020 has been a crazy, crazy year. I mean, everybody would agree it's just been a, a year that's off the charts, off the, off the chain, if you will. Uh, we live in an age where there's so much information that we're unable to digest it all. You know, there's so much out there that it just, it just keeps coming. And we hear about things going on in our world. And uh, you, can, you can hear about things going on in our world, just about anywhere in our world. And, um, but many times the media or whoever that source is doesn't give us enough context to see what that situation is, is really going on there to understand it. And so there's this confusion that, that goes on. Did you know that there are more books published in one day than the average American reads in a lifetime? That's a lot of information. That, that it's overwhelming. Lan Levell, he, he said this. He said, I feel like roadkill on the information highway from trying to keep up with all the traffic of knowledge. There's just so much out there. See, issues today seem so complicated. We don't know who or even what sometimes to believe. I mean, does anyone really understand What's going on with this pandemic or the looting and the rioting or the election or anything else? I mean, all of the junk that has happened this year, it's like, it's just crazy. It's confusing. There's so much being talked about, so much being said, so much, you know, and it's like, who do you believe? It's a confusing time to be alive. And we're not sure where to turn to for wise counsel. So there's that. Then there's also a sense of helplessness. We live in a time when many people feel completely helpless 
to change their circumstances in life. You know, the rules of our parents don't seem to apply anymore. It used to be that success in America uh, was achieved through a very simple formula. You know, work hard and treat other people right. Work hard and treat people right. Now some of the hardest working people, that are the decent people that we know are living at poverty level. And I hear people say more and more, I just can't seem to get ahead no matter how hard I try. You know, you watch a tragic news story about child sex trafficking and you ask the question, what can I do about the, with these children? What can I do about that? How can I make a difference in a world that has gone crazy? Seems like a whole lot of folks are feeling helpless and they wonder if there's anyone who can do anything about our situation. So you have this confusion. You also have this helplessness. And third, I would say there's insecurity. I mean, I've wondered for quite some time who's buying all these homes around us as fast as they're going up. Why are people moving here? And I would say most often they're moving to escape crime or violence or, or policies of other cities and other places. See, in many of our uh, cities today, we have no sense of personal safety or justice. And in a day when more than a few metropolitan areas are defunding the police, I believe that things are only going to get worse. I'm trying to give you the truth. I'm not telling you everything's okay. I'm telling you, we live in a messed up world. We hear about judgments being made by courts where people who were breaking the law I want to repeat that. We hear about judgments made in court by people who were breaking the law. Okay, people who are breaking the law. They're evading arrest. They're assaulting officers. They end up getting shot and sometimes even killed. And they're being raised up as heroes. Or given punitive damages, money. Even though they're not doing right. When we hear about that kind of thing, we may feel that there's not much hope for our world. Now, if we add to that the financial insecurity of our day, I mean, the days of job security are, are pretty much gone. The days, you know, your retirement fund may be there when you need them, and they may not be. The only person that I know that still has his security blanket is Linus from the Peanuts cartoon. I mean, many people in our world, have had their security blankets snatched away. And they wonder if there's any source of security left. So you have this confusion, this helplessness, this insecurity. But then you also have restlessness. Just by a show of hands, how many of you have moved in the last five years? Not a trick question. Quite a few, quite a few have moved in the last five years. The over 60% of Americans have moved in the past five years. There's a restlessness that's going on. Never before have people been so restless. Always looking for another job, another house, another spouse, another hobby to, to satisfy their cravings. We can't seem to sit still. 
We get bored with things so quickly and quite a bit of our nation's health problems are due to the stress that's related with all of the above. See, there's an uneasiness in our world today that makes us feel as if we will never find peace again. Confused, helpless, insecure, restless. Do those describe the world that we live in? They surely do to me. See, when the legal system fails, when our schools and our legislatures and even our homes begin to fall apart, few people see little, if any, reason to be hopeful. And so now more than ever, as we begin today, this Advent season, talking about Christ coming to earth, the incarnation, God becoming man, we talk about this Advent season, we desperately need the hope of Christmas in our world. See, I want to share with you the hope that is found in the truth of God's word from Isaiah, the prophet. In Isaiah chapter 9, I want to read verses 1 through 7. And if you have your scripture and would turn there with me, The prophet Isaiah writes this, he says, but there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Verse two, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, a light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult, the cloak rolled in blood will be burning fuel for the fire. Verse six, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would would examine our hearts and speak to our hearts this morning, Father, that your truth. And Father, that as he examines our hearts, Father, I pray that, that a great light would shine upon our hearts. And Father, those things that are in the dark recesses, the corners, that, that we would confess those to you. Father, I pray for those who are grieving this morning. Father, you know um, that it, it comes to us all. But I pray, Father, just a special 
touch from your Holy Spirit for those who are grieving. Father, for those who are struggling, I pray that you would lift their heads. Father, for those who are ill, I pray for healing. Father, I ask that you would do what only you can do. And Father, that is that you would be the hope for each one of us. Father, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord, that the same power that raised him from the dead, Father, on that day would raise us. And Father, we know that you love us so very much. It is your will that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, Father, I ask that you would do that this morning by your power, by your word, by your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, Isaiah, he first spoke these words to a society that was beginning to feel the effect of their unfaithfulness to God. Of their unfaithfulness to God. They were God's chosen people. And that yet they had been unfaithful to Him. They were materialistic. They were idolatrous. They worshipped idols. They were adulterous. See, these are the people that they're beginning to feel the effects of their unfaithfulness to God. They were materialistic, idolatrous, and adulterous. They were being threatened by the greatest war machine of the ancient world. They were hopeless. They had all of the things that we talked about. They were confused. They were helpless. They were insecure. They were restless. The people to whom Isaiah spoke were in the habit of looking back at the past. Of reminiscing about the the good old days. Maybe that weren't quite so good. And he tells them, look to the future. Stop worrying about what's behind you and start looking forward. Start looking to the future, to the coming of the Messiah. They had lost hope. And he's bringing them back and saying, look to the future. Look to the the coming of Christ, to the Messiah, the one who will restore the hearts of the people back to God. See, I would say the same thing to us today. Memorial. Look to the future. Look to the future. There's great hope. There's a living hope. We've been singing about it. A living hope. You know, verse 1 tells us that the, the Messiah will come from the land around Galilee in the north. And as you know, Jesus Christ was raised and he grew up in the village of Nazareth. And he spent much of his ministry right around the Sea of Galilee in that area. This prophecy is talking about the Messiah. It's talking about Jesus. Verse 2 says that the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. You know, Matthew even quotes this in his gospel to verify that Jesus was indeed the Messiah that was prophesied. Several times in John's gospel, Jesus said, I am the light. Of the world. That's what it's talking about. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You know, Paul wrote this in uh, 2 Corinthians 4 
verse 6, he says, For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Oh, it's in and through Jesus Christ. You know, I'm reminded about this when I'm speaking about light, about years ago, Red Skelton. Now I'm probably showing my age. Red Skelton did a comedy routine in which everything on stage was dark except for a small area under a street lamp. And he was down there on his hands and knees looking for something in this, in this light circle. And there was a policeman come up and he asked him, he said, what are you looking for? And he said, I'm looking for my keys. And he said, well, did you lose them right here? And he said, no, I dropped them over there. And he pointed into a dark corner. And he said, but why are you looking over here? And he said, because this is where the light is. Folks, that's what I'm talking about. There's a great light shining for us. There's, there's, there's more light. And the reason for the confusion, the reason for the helplessness, the reason for the insecurity and restlessness is that we've lost our hope in the darkness. We've lost our hope in the darkness. Only His light will help us find that hope. See, this morning, I want to focus on verses 6 and 7. This prophecy about the birth of Jesus. It's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And He gives us some descriptive titles that teach us about the nature and the character of Jesus Christ. It's in understanding these names and what they mean to us, that we find our reasons for hope this Christmas. See, the first one that he mentions is Wonderful Counselor. Folks, that can be looked at as the hope for our confusion. Wonderful Counselor. You know, some translations put a comma in between these two words as if they were separate titles but most of them put them together as the first title of the king of Christmas. And it refers to his matchless wisdom. The matchless wisdom of Jesus Christ in which he taught and he lived among humanity. It also speaks of his reliability. It speaks of his authority. Wonderful counselor. You know, counseling is big business these days. If you sense the need for counseling, there are thousands of licensed professionals who are ready to help you out, provided you're willing to give them the time and the money required. They will give you all kinds of counsel, but not all counseling will be consistent with biblical values. Not all counseling will be consistent with a biblical worldview. I would actually say not most counseling will not be. You know, Larry Burkett, he, he once paraphrased a proverb by saying, a wise man seeks much counsel. A fool takes all of it. A fool listens to all of it. It reminds me of a lady, Lisa Owen, she was getting ready to have a surgery. And um, she was a little bit anxious about it, so she wanted to talk to somebody about it. So she talked to her boss about her surgery that was coming up. Her boss was a veterinarian. She asked if he had any advice for her, and this is what he said. He said, without hesitation, he said, turn your worries into prayers, get plenty of rest, 
And don't lick your incision. You know, we've all received bad counseling at some point in our lives. I mean, when we think about that, I mean, think about some of the poor counsel maybe you've received in your life. Some of you have made bad financial decisions because you listened to the poor counsel of someone else. Others may have made poor choices in relationships. And sometimes those were the result of poor counsel or no counsel. You know, as a pastor, it's easy to get frustrated by the number of people who come expecting an easy answer for their problems that are the result of years of seeking the wrong counsel. They make bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. They never seek good counsel. They just continue to seek bad counsel. And my counseling approach is based on referring people to the wonderful counselor. Not to me, but to the wonderful counselor. And I get a sense, though, that sometimes people are more interested in a quick solution than they are to finding answers to their spiritual problems. See, my title is not Wonderful Counselor. No one's ever said of me what the congregation at Jesus' home synagogue said about him. You know, in Matthew 13, verse 54, it says they were astonished at his teaching. They said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? You know, angels did not sing at my birth. I did not spend days with the elders and the teachers when I was 12, amazing them with my wisdom and understanding. But folks, that is what Jesus did. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He's the one who angels sang at his birth. He was the one who was in the temple puzzling the, the, the elders and the teachers at age 12 because of his wisdom. They didn't understand where he got all of this. But listen, God has not given us just one, but he's given us four different accounts of the life of Jesus. What he did, what he said, why he came. But many Christians don't ever open their Bible. They never read their Bible except on Sunday mornings. We talk about him being a wonderful counselor, him having all this wisdom. Then why don't we follow his teachings? Because that's why he gave it. That's what he desires. You see, for every situation that we encounter in life, marriage, parenting, work, stress, grief, disappointment, depression, God himself has given us the wisest counsel available and often we refuse to read his instructions. See, when confusion describes your condition, when you don't know what to believe or where to turn, turn to Christ. Go back to the word and see what Jesus taught about it. He alone is the wonderful counselor. And he alone has the answers to the deepest questions that we have in life. He goes on and he talks about mighty God. Mighty God offers us hope in our hopelessness, our helplessness, excuse me. See, this title emphasizes that the baby whose birth we celebrate today is nothing less than God himself. Mighty God. 
They're saying this about Jesus, that Jesus is God. He is God incarnate, the one who came in the flesh. He became a man. He, he lived on this earth. The living, true God, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, the creator, the sustainer, the savior of all humanity. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 30, he said, I and the Father are one. He claimed deity. He claimed that him and the Father were one. And increasingly, as we look at our world as being out of control and we view ourselves as helpless victims of a world gone bad or maybe mad, but understand, mighty God, we have someone on our side. We have someone that we can turn to who is mighty. See, we see news stories regularly of people who are being beaten or abused. And although there may be many, many witnesses, no one seems to want to step up or help out or get involved. I mean, maybe you feel that way this morning. Maybe you feel like you've been attacked by life. Maybe you feel alone. No one's responding to your cries for help. You have to come to believe that, maybe you've come to believe that you can't count on anyone else. That no one's coming. But listen, you need the hope of Christmas. You need to know the reality of Jesus Christ as a mighty God in your life. See, Paul, who was... He, he wrote this in Philippians 4, very often quoted verse, Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But notice the next verse. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. <laughs> See, the same apostle who said, I can do all, three, all things through him who strengthens me, said, you've done well to share with me in my afflictions. He's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about a congregation of faithful Christians. They're being an integral part, a key part of God's solution for our hopelessness. See, the church, the body of Christ, is the instrument of Christ's ministry to other believers. He's the, we're the ones that he uses to minister to others, not only just believers, but to non-believers as well. So that in our hopelessness, we see a mighty God. In our helplessness, we understand that we have someone we can go to. I'm so excited to see Christ working in your lives. The beautiful thing, because that's a tangible part of it. Christ's death and resurrection give life the ultimate reason for hope. The hope that we have is because of Jesus Christ. Because of what he did on Calvary. As he gave his life for you and for me. Seeing him alive in the church makes that hope tangible to those whose vision is clouded by despair. See, God uses human instruments to accomplish his kingdom purposes. See, even in one of his sermons, Jesus quoted Isaiah 61 in Luke chapter 4. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Folks, he is our wonderful counselor. 
He is our mighty God. Moving quickly here as we continue to examine these titles. He gave Jesus the title Everlasting Father. It gives us reason to hope through our insecurities. I mean, for many, the word father does not conjure up a positive image. For some, father means abuse or maybe even neglect. For some, it means the man who never saw my best as being good enough. For others, it may mean a man who is always at work or at play. Rarely do I talk to someone with an, who has emotional struggles, who has or had a positive relationship with their father. It's that insecurity. Never before has fatherhood reached such a sorry state. I mean, today the word more often refers to the biological role rather than the nurturing role. Way, way, way too many children go to bed each night in a home where the parents aren't even married. Probably no other factor has led to the insecurity of our nation the way that fathers have left their God-given responsibility to nurture and to love their children. I mean, one of the reasons that we read out of Deuteronomy 6 earlier is because it clearly puts the responsibility on the parents to teach their children about who God is and who Jesus is. So no matter what your relationship is or was with your earthly father, you can have the security of a relationship with your heavenly father. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, Paul wrote this. He said, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. For consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The good part the best part is yet to come. These present sufferings are not to be compared with, with the glory that's to be revealed. See, there is no reason for insecurity. You're safe and the secure in the loving arms of your Savior. And this last title, Prince of Peace, Prince of Peace offers us hope for our restlessness. I mean, we desperately need a sense of peace in our lives. We're so hurried. We go so many places. We keep making the same mistakes and we don't understand why we make those same mistakes. And we think that at a different location, things are going to be different. They're going to be better, but they're not. We just take our problems to the new location because we don't have any peace. Because we're not trusting in the Prince of Peace. See, I, 
We may never live to see a time where there is peace among all nations. In this life, we may not even live to see peace in all of our relationships. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 12, verse 18, he said, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. But we can find, we can find peace within. We may not be able to find peace out here, but we can find peace within. Because when this relationship is good, most of the time, when this relationship is where it needs to be, these relationships will be good as well. But the problem is, is this relationship is not good. There's a problem here. And so then we have problems here. See, we can find peace in the middle of painful circumstances. We can find peace in the middle of stressful situations. And we can find it now in the quiet stillness of the manger scene. As we seek the Prince of Peace and we ask Him to reign in our hearts. I love Romans 5. Verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop struggling and surrender. Stop fighting and surrender. See, wrapping this up, we're going to go back to where we started in Isaiah 9, verse 7. It says, There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. <laughs> We can rejoice today that God himself is zealously at work to bring hope into our lives. His desire is for us to be a people of hope, to be able to carry that hope out into the dark world where others are searching for the very hope that we have, that we carry the gospel in these earthen vessels that maybe some of that light will shine through the cracks of our own brokenness so that others would see Jesus in us. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So do you, do you have a living hope? Do you have a living hope? Because it all starts with Jesus. It begins with our relationship with Him and our surrender to Him. And if you don't have peace, you don't have Jesus. Because Jesus is all of these things. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And by inviting Jesus into your life, to be your Lord and your Savior, you have the reasons for hope that we never knew existed until we met Jesus. Do you have a living hope? Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. 
And Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word to us. Father, that you have given us everything that we need. If we will simply put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. Father, I'm so thankful that you sent him to this earth to live before us a sinless life, to to show us, Father, what can be done. But Father, more than that, to pay for our sin, that, that Father, our sin would be paid in full. God, that you did that for each one of us. Father, I pray that we would receive that gift from you. Your word says that you love the world so much that you gave your one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. Father, I pray that everyone who can hear my voice today would receive Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for what you've done in him. We thank you that he is our living hope. And God, we we give you praise and glory and honor for that. Guide us as we continue to seek you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.